Okay, guys, today we have a special guest who you've not heard from before. His name is Josh King, and I was so blessed by our conversation, and we just went round and round in so many different directions that I broke it up into two parts. So this is part one of our conversation, so make sure you grab part two, which will be up in a couple of days, but I know you're going to love this conversation, things like critical race theory school board stuff, running for office, what we can do to combat this crazy ideology that's working its way into every facet of our lives. I know you're going to love it. Let's check it out. This is the Gaining My Perspective podcast, and you're hanging here with me, Wendy Cunningham. You're here to get empowered, inspired, informed, and encouraged as we navigate the everyday journey of this crazy life. Stick around because we're going to laugh and we're going to learn. And above all else, we're going to gain perspective. All right, guys. Hello. I am so excited to be joined today with a special guest who I'm just kind of getting to know over the last couple of weeks. His name's Josh King. He lives in, it's called Oregon, right? Not Oregon, Oregon, Wisconsin. And one of the great swing states of the 2020 election, right? So he's kind of um, shared with me some perspective that he has gleaned out of this whole COVID experience and being, you know, kind of immersed in the culture of public school. And so there was so many topics we could have talked about, and we'll probably talk about quite a few over the course of this this conversation. But just to give you a little background, he's been married for 21 years. I know you have kids, Josh, but I did not catch their ages. Yeah, what are you- so, yeah I've got a I've got a 18 year old son who okay. is leaving high school this year and going to go to LSU. And then I have a 16 year old daughter who is a junior in high school. So she's got one, one year left. Okay, so a little bit of a different age bracket than my kids who are on the younger side. But his education, he has a BS in biology with an emphasis in medical physics, which that's going to be relevant to how he started to perceive the response to COVID. And we'll get into that. He also did four years in active duty military, as well as four years in the reserve as a naval officer, which is really amazing. And his profession is in product development in uh, global commercialization of novel medical technology. You'll have to explain a little bit more about what you do professionally and how that kind of started to just your education and your profession and how you started to get go down the road of recognizing what was going on in those early COVID days and how the response was maybe not what you viewed the appropriate response. So tell me more about that. Yeah, well, first of all, I, you know, listen to your podcast before, and I know that um, your podcast is about empowerment and education. And I I hope that this conversation leads to some education and some empowerment for a lot of folks who are kind of like me and my wife and a lot in my little small town and across the country where um, we're learning a lot about how things work. We've kind of resigned our obligation as parents. We weren't surveilling the school. We had this trust with the school system and and other aspects of local politics that we just don't have the luxury of, of um, being oblivious anymore. We have to take that into account and we have to exert some more energy. So I hope, I hope this will be educational and, talk, and to talk about what we've done as a community to try to build up and not tear down, but build up 
the traditional American value. So we'll get to that, I, I hope, um, during the podcast. But um, I am actually not from Wisconsin originally. I'm from southwest, excuse me, southwest Louisiana, really far south. And when you see, you know, how these, you see the videos or the TV shows where the, these, these people go out in these boats and they hunt alligators and they pull them in the boats. And it's, it's that's how I grew up, uh, more or less. And um, it's really an interesting thing to have lived all over the country with the military and talk about that. But really from, you know, basic means and, and we were rich in love, but we didn't have much. Um, I grew up to uh, the son of a teacher and my mom, who later became a teacher, along with my dad and my brother is a teacher. So an education based family really prioritized succeeding in education. I went and played college football for four years. And then I went to the Navy, as you said, and had a fantastic experience sailing aircraft carriers and uh, really enjoyed um, the, the challenge and the diversity and the, the pride of, of supporting your country and, and, and being able to serve. I would do it all over again. Um, but yeah, we moved around a lot in our lives, my, and my wife and I, for the last 21 years um, with corporate roles and other things. And we settled down in Oregon, <laughs> Oregon, Wisconsin. It takes a while to get that right. Um, and we were going to raise our kids here through middle school and high school. And and we have, and my kids are fantastic. My son is going to be an Eagle Scout. Uh, my daughter is, is, is excellent in so many ways and extremely bright and, and beautiful as well. So we're really proud of our kids. And uh, we probably take as much interest in their education and life as, as any parent. And we're proud of that. Um, but to your question, you know, COVID, like everyone else, revealed a lot for us in terms of what the inner workings were and how does your school board work? How do the administrators work? How is curriculum developed and passed through a curriculum policy team at your at your local school? How are things that should go through policy uh, subverted to some degree and, and bought in brought in as best practices? Which means that there's very little oversight or even potential for oversight from parents. And like everyone else, we found out the hard way that there were a lot of things going on that we felt like we should have been involved with or had a say so in, if not just downright opposed. And so um, it was a, it was a, an adventure and, and um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to share any aspect or all of that with you. So what were kind of your first cues early on that things were going not the direction you expected or when you were analyzing some of this early data, you, you seem to have a different response than what the school board or, or you know, the public education was going. Yeah. So, you know, in 2020, um, you know, when things uh, things really started heating up with COVID in the United States, like everyone, you know, schools were shut down and and, it, you know, everyone said, look, this is probably the right thing to do until we really uncover the mechanism of action for COVID. And, and did it affect kids and how did it affect you know people with uh, certain comorbidities? And and I and part of my job is to help um, analyze and look at um published peer-reviewed clinical trial data for a lot of different disease states, mostly in the oncology space. But um, in my degree, as you said, in the biology and medical physics, that, that's part of kind of what you just do is you read these things. And as this kind of progressed and we got into the fall school year of 2020, I had an appointment with my school superintendent. And uh, she was fairly new to the job, but she'd been a teacher and a principal for decades. And so I sat down with her and I said, hey, tell me how much you know about COVID and, and, and what, is your, what are your plans to help bring kids back in school where they can get lear good learning, but protect them. And 
She didn't have a really good answer with a lot Mm -hmm. of platitudes. So I said, well, let me show you how it works and why it's not really affecting kids. And I used relevant data from a bunch of credible peer-reviewed sources and and even some of the government sources who at that time were saying, you know, this this is how this works. And she kind of stopped me in the conversation and she said, you know, Josh, I'm just a history teacher. I I really Mm -hmm. can't be expected to to learn that and its implications. And then I said, well, that's not the right answer I want to hear. I said, you're the superintendent of schools. You can't defer that authority and responsibility to someone else. It's it's your job. And and so that set the conversation in a different path, as you'd expect. And so then I started asking about, have you prepared for mental health with kids who don't have great homes? And the answer just was unfulfilling, if not just a straight out, no, we haven't really done anything, but we plan to do things if that happens. And so it really showed a lack of kind of building a plan when other school districts across the country, including my brothers down in Texas, had a really strong plan for testing and screening and pulling kids out. We just had nothing. So that began kind of this eventual, we need to start looking into every aspect of what's going on in school. And that in unfortunately devolved into looking at, you know, the the, the proponents of of critical race theory, implicit bias training for all the educators, um, you know, um, you know, sexuality training for for elementary school teachers. And unfortunately, how those elementary teachers were coached, and we have a video from upset teachers who had to go through the training, a video of one of these teachers or social emotional learning counselors or teachers, SELs, on how to avoid telling parents that their elementary, young elementary child was potentially having some sexuality or gender identity concerns. Mm. And and these are things we brought up um, to the community. And that's really where the school administration, teachers union, not so much the teachers themselves, but the teachers union, the administrators really shut things down, really became um, antagonistic with us. And then that's kind of where, you know, that's where we were for almost two years was this really antagonistic relationship. And that's not what we wanted at all. But as you can tell, when you start asking questions, um, it's a problem. When, when, you're not, when you're not used to honesty and transparency and someone asks for that, it can feel like abuse. And I mm. told them that much and they took it as challenging what they were doing and they spun it as anti-teacher, but that's not, that's really not what it was at all. And so I'm hoping that you know, others who see this know that you can kind of go through that and ask these questions and expose things, be transparent and come out the other side. But that's just the tip of the iceberg for, for how I found out and what we started to do. Sure. So I want to kind of reemphasize some things that you said that specifically your education and part of your profession gives you credibility in this space. And you would think, and this is such a strange thing that happened over the last two years is people who actually had credibility in this space of analyzing data or really understanding what they were looking at were deferred or neglected or censored or what have you. And to your own point, this history teacher is saying, I'm just a history teacher. I can't be expected to know that. And yet she's the one and not you making the decisions, right? That just seems insane. And that's just one anecdotal piece of a larger picture that happened over the course of this last two years. And I do believe it sounds like from what you just said that you, this was a revelation for you into the way that schools were working and the different curriculum and all of that. And I feel like this has been just maybe the underlying blessing of all of this for parents is 
this COVID thing, and I, this is, you know, I'm sure this has already been talked about to ad nauseum, right? That this was just such a miraculous moment where the scales were truly removed from our eyes and we could see into a system that we trusted. And my husband says it's, we shouldn't call it public schools. We should call them government schools because that's what they are. And they're actually a newer experiment, if you will, because for hundreds of years before there was even public schools, all school was in home or in community or in church, you know, in much smaller groups with much more oversight, much more emphasis on actual skills <laughs> being learned, you know, leaving the education with, it's so funny because I live in Amish country down here in Tennessee and they only go to eighth grade, right? But every Amish farm here makes more than the average non-Amish, they call them English here, makes more than the average non-Amish family. You know, I just think, gosh, what are we doing wrong? This is such a, a wonderful moment in history. And hopefully it continues to be that and we don't get lazy and we're going to talk about what to do about it. But tell me more about how this, how, how did it reveal the CRT and the sexuality stuff? How did that become, you know, how did you go from COVID stuff to that? Yeah. So first of all, you know, you could, I'm not, I don't practice science. I do, I do work in that field and, 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 and very thoroughly, but even if you would dispel my beliefs that I know what I'm talking about, that's fine because I don't have a PhD. There are physicians and PhDs here that actually have spoken up, um, healthcare professionals, along with uh, clinicians, physicians, whose opinion was discarded, um, summarily because the, it wasn't part of what they did. Even you know, part of one of my suggestions early was, look, develop a physician council that's separate from the bureaucracy that runs our county, Dane County, which is Dane County is very much like a Loudoun County, very much like San Francisco. I mean, it is it is dripping with that sort of liberal um, progressive environment. And, and that has leaked out. It's kind of oozed out of the, the central town of Madison into the suburbs over the last probably decade or so. But even the even the, the one of the physicians that was on their committee is a was a virologist. He runs a, a flu based testing for students and, and has some conflicts with the university. But anyway, but even on a conversation with him early on, he said, "Yeah, this is probably not a big deal for kids." He goes, "Masks, no masks." He's like, "It's probably okay," but that's not what was said in private right. meetings and other things where um, it was more politically oriented. And and we we have a very um, a very progressive governor who was the former superintendent of schools for the state. Hmm. So there's a there's a familial and and political affiliation with my town that really goes all the way up to the governor. And that you see that in, in the community, you see that in the education. But what really happened after we started asking questions about COVID, we said, well, okay, how are we paying for all of these, these things we're doing? How are we covering costs? And then, you know, there's a lot of financial or budgetary line items that the school has to, they're compelled to produce. And a lot of these line items had, you know, consultants on there. We start asking what these consultants are and we're spending tens of thousands of dollars on consultants who are, um, you know, uh, in, uh, developing implicit bias testing that the school essentially forced. You mm. could argue they didn't make you by law, but it was, they pulled these teachers who didn't want to do it into one-on-one counseling and said, if you don't want to do this implicit race bias testing, um, that's fine. However, it was a real stigma associated with it and the fear of retribution. Mm. In fact, in Madison Metropolitan School District, 
teachers who refused to do this implicit bias testing were, and they said it openly, were summarily fired. They were wow. going to be the first ones let go. If there's anybody that needed to be fired for budgetary concerns, they would be the first one. So that kind of concept scared a lot of teachers, which made us start asking more questions about what books are on the shelves. What are they teaching in history and English? It's not, it, it traditionally wasn't CRT by that name explicitly. It was when you teach a history lesson, here's what we're going to teach about. And here's when you teach a mm. lesson on uh, economic methodology, capitalism versus socialism. And I heard this firsthand, capitalism was seen as the most biased, um, greedy mm -hmm. uh, element that was responsible for, you know, the pain and poverty of millions where socialism and communism were actually spoken up a little bit like, hey, this is where the people own part of this. Uh, Let's not talk about the hundreds of millions that have died at the hands of that economic system, right. authoritarianism over the past hundred plus years or so. So those were the things you started finding out. Again, you made a comment about COVID being this the blessing in disguise. It absolutely has been an awakening. Yeah. I'd say all the American people, but mainly, and we saw this in Loudoun County, Virginia, moms mm -hmm. who were formerly, I would say, liberal, maybe even leftist, you know, didn't like a lot of the true conservatives. That they have absolutely been slingshotted into a more conservative mindset because of what they've seen happen to their kids. Yeah. Um, both with masks as well as young white males right now in school, it's okay to say for a girl in the class to say, you know what, it would, the world would be better if there were no young, no males left in. Mm -hmm. And that's not, that's not, it's not corrected. It's not challenged in class. That happened in our school district, Oregon school district happened. Nothing really happened. So there's a, there's a battle being uh, fought here and moms like yourself, moms <laughs> are the ones that are really mobilizing and saying, okay, now my eyes are open. I see what's going on. What do I need to do to protect my kids and other kids and all, all races, creeds, colors, all those things? How do we protect the children? They belong to us. And then, you know, it's funny. The last thing I'll say about that is we have a representative, Snodgrass here, who's a, a female, and she basically has kids. But she made a comment just a few weeks ago that, you know, if parents really want to have a say in their education, they need to take their kids from the private school or homeschool because once you turn them over to the, the public or government, mm. I love the, that term. They belong to they belong to to, to you, and and even in the the Eau Claire school system in, in Wisconsin, this is recent news. Eau Claire school district had an internal training session where the school board actually said the parents aren't entitled to know the gender identity of their kid at school. They have to earn that trust with the teacher. Whoa. Exactly. And that's a, almost a quote. It was on a PowerPoint that got leaked out by someone who was concerned. And that gives you that gives you a snapshot of what's going on. And CRT actually had a place on a teacher's a Wisconsin teachers. Um, it wasn't seminar. It was more like a conference held in, in, in an area of Wisconsin probably six months ago. And one of those topics was CRT, like how to utilize this and in a in your in your classroom so it's a real thing that unless you dive in unless you commit time and energy you'll never know what's going on in school and hopefully you do that same thing and you don't find any of this and you become a better partner with your teacher and your administrators and your principal that's the ideal but when you do find this stuff out it it prompts people to action and that's where we are in march of 2020 with people trying to take action
Gosh, I think that, oh, I would love to think that it is just the suburbs of big cities that we have to worry about. But here I am out in rural Tennessee and it is at our public school. And it's not, I think parents would be very, very surprised. We take for granted, like you said, be relatively, I mean, engaged and involved in our children's education, but not in the curriculum, not understanding what's actually happening in this, you know, in the classroom. It's, I think people would be really surprised where it pops up and how it pops up and how prevalent it is. But you made an important, an important point earlier that it's not always the teachers. It is this other mechanism of the, the, teachers union, which my husband always argues that unions in general <laughs> tend to be the problem. And it's not always the people that are, you know, in the union. That is, um, I think an important distinction and we need to be unafraid to empower our teachers, you know, and, and, and align with them and be on their side where they're not the enemy always sometimes, but not always, you know, usually they're, like you said, coerced or, or feared, you know, in fear of their, their job. Um, also I wanted to say, you know, Charlie Kirk always talks about we've, we've moved so far politically and we were talking a little bit about this before we got on the recording. We've divided so far and polarized ourselves so far that we used to be able to say, we want the same things, but maybe we just have different ideas about how they are accomplished. And I think that's not true anymore. I think, we don't actually want the same things. And sometimes, you know, we say they, these politicians often say the quiet part out loud when they say things like your, your local, uh, you know, whoever, that they're not your child anymore. If you surrender them over to the government schools, the public school system, you no longer have a right. And I think that that's obviously that's how they feel. And that is the truth. It's sad to say, but that is the truth. And obviously I'm a homeschool mom for a lot of these reasons, but I I think we're late to catch on to this. We're late to see that this is the truth and kind of to move us forward in the conversation. um, You know, the argument against CRT or sexualization of our kids is that it's not, there's no course teaching critical race theory. There's no, you know, curriculum or, or class or, you know, anything specific with that name on it. There's no health class that really teaches people about transgender or whatever, but it's, it's within, you know, it's already in the curriculum. It's in your English curriculum. It's in your history curriculum. So they can, they can say, we're not teaching that. And that is true. <laughs> like they're not teaching that in terms of, it's not a class at the school, but it's absolutely, the theory is already implemented into the curriculum. It's already there. And, you know, one of my family members made a statement, gosh, a year and a half ago about her son, her nephew, and my husband being these young white males and, and how they're, they're moving in a more conservative mindset. And she saw it as them being brainwashed, but then she spoke of her own son as he is recognizing this, uh, this hatred towards young white males. And it's, he's like, I didn't do anything to, you know, have that be the way that it is. I'm, I'm nice to everybody, but I thought it was so interesting. Like already your young son is recognizing this bias against him just for the way being a white male, you know, like it's just nothing he did. So it is, it's a newer thing, but we're behind because I don't remember learning any, I mean, I remember it in college, 
but in K through 12, and you know, maybe you can speak to this too. I don't remember this. I don't remember feeling this divisiveness or learning, you know, my whiteness was bad or, or any of those sorts of concepts. And maybe I'm just not remembering it, but do you remember that? So I don't, I think you grew up in California. I, I, I grew did. up in South Louisiana. And, and look, the demographics are different where I grew up than maybe most places. Definitely different than here in Oregon, Wisconsin. I mean, you know, my family is, is a mixed race. And, you know, it's almost, it's almost creepy to say that because I love them so much. My, my sister-in-law is a phenomenal woman. And I don't think about her color as much as I do about her accomplishments and, and the value that she brings to our family and the love she has of my brother and, and you know, her kids are, are my, you know, my niece and nephew. And I love them more than anything and independent of their, their skin color. And, but it, be, it, it becomes the, the driving force. Our, our superintendent, for example, her first day on the job, she handed out to the school board a book called Cast, C-A-S-T-E. And it's essentially a, kind of a book of historical fiction that compares the Indian, like the, you know, um, the, the Southeast Asia, you know, uh, Asian, India, mm-hmm. their caste system, which is very regimented. It actually has a number of, of, of levels and it's, you're not mobile through that structure at all. You're born into one level and that's where you stay. Right. And she handed that and she basically said, look, this is, this is the, the ideology I'm going to use is that we have a caste system in this country and, you know, at the top and the worst part of it are, you know, is white supremacy and white male and that kind of thing. It's hmm. the first thing, not, not a book on how to be a great school board member and work with your superintendent, develop great curriculum or policy or anything like that. It was, it was this. And so, um, um, it, it, it was, it was very frustrating to, to see that but I didn't grow up with that at, right. at all. We were all friends. I played college football in, in a school where, you know, it, I don't think it was probably 60, 40, you know, I, I was the minority or something, yeah. maybe even less than that. I didn't care. Nobody really cared about it because we were all part of a mission. We were all part of the same team. We went to the same church. We we're part of the fellowship of Christian athletes. You weren't the fellowship of white Christian athletes, black or Latina, right. whatever. It just worked. And then you get in the military. And the military means that you're on a small boat in the middle of the Persian Gulf with people who have all different backgrounds, religions, colors. And the last thing you're thinking of is, hey, I wonder what they're, co-. you know, it's, it's, I'm going to give my life for my, for my shipmate. Right. Yeah. They're going to give their life for, for me. And we've lost that. We've made this about this, this perpetual contemplative evaluation of what happened and how we got here. And there's a lot of responsibility. There's a lot of problems in the last 100, 200 years in this country that are still being affected today. Those lasting effects are here. Racism is here, for sure. You show me a place where racism is, I immediately think of my sister and my, my sister-in-law and my niece and nephew, and I will fight it with you. I'll be the first one. Sure. But to arbitrarily assign some um, uh, you know, ra- racism, structural racism, and you can't put your finger on it, I don't know what to do about that. Like I right. can't fight something we don't see. And I think that's kind of where we're at, but you know what? It doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter what my family is. There's, there's actually an element that's a non-education element, um, a group of extremely um, radical people in our town. I think this is everywhere who have ties to the education system. We affectionately call them the 
Chardonnay and Tifa here. Um, <laughs> and their whole job is to hover around social media and attack anyone with conservative views or who challenges their views. Right. So, so they've created this group, this allies group, and you can be in the allies group as long as you believe it. But mm. it's geared towards racial equity and all these things. And But it's a generally a group of white women. But but if you're of another color and you don't fit, they'll kick you out. So wow. their idea of racial equity is to believe what we believe. But if you're black and you don't believe what we believe, you're out. Oh, that's, that's so good. Time and time again. So and that, that's where we're at. And so we have to believe that we have a moral compass, that we're not racist. You got to be able to feel confident and say, I've never done anything racist. I don't plan on doing anything racist. I want, I believe everyone's made in the image of God and I want everybody to succeed. And then when somebody challenges you, you can say, I'm not, so it really doesn't affect me to go pound sand. Mm -hmm. But that's where I think a lot of people today have to fight that urge to feel guilty about something they haven't done. Mm -hmm. If you've done it and you're racist, that's your problem. Like you need to be, you yeah. have a real problem, but the vast majority haven't. And we shouldn't feel guilty about saying, I'm not subscribing to CRT. I'm subscribing to, you know, what I'm going to subscribe to is Carol Swain, Dr. Carol Swain. She's got a great program, 1776 Unites. If you haven't seen that, that's a phenomenal program that talks about the history of race in the United States and, and uses great leaders, Frederick Douglass and numbers of, of African-American people who have wrote, risen up and become leaders and contributors to what makes this, makes this country great. That's who I would rather have on board than a consultant. Mm. We're paying a lot of money on to come in and tell everyone that implicitly they make poor racial decisions based off a computer test that they took on, you know, <laughs> so it's a complex situation, but again, you boil it down to foundations. You believe everyone's created equal and in the, the, the image of God, if you do that, black, brown, Latino, it doesn't matter where you're from, a right. migrant, immigrant in here, doesn't matter. We're going to treat you the same, but we also expect that you share the same responsibilities in traditional culture and traditions that we have in the United States, which I think has made us great. And that's what's concerning is to see those things start to to die away the tradition right. um, that's bothersome. Or people to, you know, people feel ashamed to want to stand in those values or preserve those values. Will you send me a link that I can put in the show notes to what you just referred to that course or what, is it a course? Is it a, what is it? Um, 1776 is a, is a program. Think of it as the American, <laughs> the true American way to describe um, you know, what happened historically about slavery and racism, and they don't pull punches. They're not hiding anything. Sure. But it's a different view in terms of blame and, and, and trying to transpose blame on slave owners back in, you know, hundreds of years ago to what's, what's been positively developing in the, in the, the strides that we've made to bring us to 2022, where truly everyone is equal. And, and so Carol Swain is the, is the leader of that, but she's got a whole cadre of influential scholars and business people who have held highest positions of an industry across the U.S. who have made it. They just happen to be African-American or Black, and, and, and they talk about their role. So there are courses, there are videos. She's written books. You can have them come and speak about what they do. And it's a really good balance between somebody who believes CRT is the only way to get right. true American history taught. Uh, I, I think, I think uh, this PhD at Vanderbilt, a, a woman who brought herself up kind of by her bootstraps, I think she'd tell you a slightly different story. I know she would. Awesome. Well, send that and we'll link that in the show notes for people to look into. Thanks for joining us today, guys. We will finish up this conversation in part two 
So look for that in just a couple of days. I hope that this was educational, informational, inspiring, empowering. There's so much we can do. And that's what we're going to talk about. What's next? Where does this come from? What do we do about it? What are the actions we can take? How can we be proactive as parents and as Americans who want to see a different future for our kids? Check it out. Hey guys, thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate this podcast and tell all your friends. And of course, catch me over at gainingmyperspective.com. Father God, thank you so much for the blessings hidden in this struggle, Lord. Thank you for the revelation of areas that have been hidden in our families and children's lives, Lord, in these school systems, in just in the classroom, Lord. Thank you that COVID, although it was just so hard to deal with, that you opened our eyes through it, that you used it for good. What the enemy meant for evil, you used for good to activate moms and dads across this great nation to pay attention, to get involved, to fight on behalf of their children's minds and hearts and souls, Lord. We're just grateful for that. And we know this is just the beginning of what you have planned, Lord. We put our faith and trust in you. Amen.